right, let's turn to the book of 2 Samuel in chapter number 7. And I do want to say that, you know, it's been a little bit of a rough week for me getting things ready. I, I lost a day on Thursday. I've been under the weather since Wednesday night and just been difficult to get everything together. So, uh, but anyway, uh, we're going to talk about today, we're going to talk about the a nation in God's likeness. So, so anyway, I apologize if I don't have things together the way that I normally do, or you may not know the difference. I don't know, but anyway, I, I tried, but I've been under the weather. So we've been studying the nation of Israel, and we use Stephen's speech as our outline. And I, and I decided as I was preaching that, that it would be good for us to continue on to get a good uh, understanding uh, of the, the history of the nation of Israel. And there's always something new for us to learn. And I hadn't really decided on how I was going to continue on, but, but I decided, you know, we're just going to, I'm going to use the Bible Project's overview of uh, the history of the nation of, the, of Israel and the kings and all of that just sort of a, as, a, as a guideline. Um, and so we really are up to Samuel, or it's not Samuel, but, but Solomon. Um, but I'm going to, I took a step back last week to look at something about David, and I'm going to take another step back uh, this week, and then th- the next time we'll move on uh, into the history. But we want to remember that God's, what God's promise was to David about the kingdom. And so it says in 2 Samuel, and let's just begin reading in verse number 4. And it came to pass that night that the word of the Lord came unto Nathan, saying, Go and tell David, tell my servant David, thus saith the Lord, Shalt thou build me a house for me to dwell in? Whereas I have not dwelt in any house since the time that I brought up the children of Israel out of Egypt, even to this day, but I have walked in a tent and a tabernacle. In all the places wherein I have walked with all the children of Israel, spake I word with any of the tribes of Israel whom I commanded to feed my people Israel, saying, Why build you not me in a house of cedar? Now therefore, so shalt thou say unto my servant David, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I took thee from the sheep coat, from following the sheep, to be ruler over my people over Israel. And I was with thee whithersoever thou wentest, and have cut off all thine enemies out of thy sight. And have made thee a great name, like unto the name of great men that are in the earth. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, that they may dwell in a place of their own, and move no more. Neither shall the children of wickedness afflict them any more, as before time. And as since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel and have caused thee to rest from all thine enemies, also the Lord telleth thee that he will make thee an house. And when thy days be fulfilled and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he commit iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the children of men. But my mercy shall not depart away from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before thee. And thine house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever. 
according to all these words and according to all this vision, so did Nathan speak unto David. So, what do we know happens? <clears throat> Does the nation of Israel continue forever? Or is there a time when they go into captivity? And we know as we study history, right, there's a time when they go into captivity. And we know, we know a lot of the Old Testament history. And so we want to ask ourselves, well, how did we get here? And in order to think about that, again, I talked about today in our first sermon about man's responsibility to be the representative of God. They're created in God's image and likeness. And that's in Genesis 1, 26 and 27. And I don't really need to read that again because I read that during the first service. But we know that God created man in his own likeness, in his own image. And what do we know happened? We know that Adam created in the image and likeness of God He's created with a body, soul, and a spirit to represent the Godhead. I mean, when some people, you ask some people the question, what does it mean to be created in the image of likeness of God? Some will say God created man as a trichotomy with a, bowl, a body and a soul and a spirit to separate man from animals. And we know there's something different about man than there is from animals. But we know primarily it is to be God's representative on, on earth, to be His image bearer, to display the image and the character of God, to have dominion over the earth, to, to rule the world that God has put them in, in righteousness and holiness. And as we learned in the first sermon, what do we know? We know that that image is distorted by sin. The problem is that men have distorted the image of God and so therefore they are misrepresenting, misrepresenting God. And if you go and you study the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis, what do we find there? You find all the ways that men fail in representing God. Where does it start? Besides Adam and Eve sinning in the garden, what's the next thing you see? Cain destroyed the image of God when he slew Abel. So instead of honoring the image of God, by the way, that's why we should be against abortion. We should be abolitionists because when an abortion happens, they are destroying the image of God. We'll leave that alone. But Abe Cain destroyed the image of God when he slew Abel. Then as you go on and you study the history, how else did men fail to represent God appropriately? In the days before the flood, what does it say? The thoughts and intents of men's hearts were only evil continually. And so God says, I'm going to destroy this and start over. So Noah, what happens as soon as Noah comes off the ark? We find him what, getting drunk, right? <coughs> misrepresenting God. And instead of displaying God's glory to this world, if you read Genesis 11.4, at the Tower of Babel, they said, 
Let us make a name for ourselves. Instead of being here to represent God and making a name for God and displaying God to the world, man wanted to make a name for themselves. And so God confounded the languages. He confused the languages and they were spread about so they could no longer come together as one and make a name for themselves. And so God's design for a man or men to represent him, to be his image bearers, is going to be changed. And so God chooses a man to be the father of a nation. And that nation is to go and be a light into the world. You see, God, let's just turn to the book of Exodus in chapter number 9. Exodus chapter number 9, verse number 1. Then the Lord said unto Moses, Go into Pharaoh and tell him, Thus saith the Lord God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. For if thou refuse to let them go, and wilt hold them still, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thy cattle which is in the field, upon the horses, upon the asses, upon the camels, upon the oxen. And upon the sheep, and there shall be a very grievous murian. And let's go all the way to verse 16. We know God's bringing these plagues upon Pharaoh, right? But why? And in very deed for this cause have I raised thee up, for to show thee, to show in thee my power, and that my name may be declared throughout all the earth. So God's going to work in Pharaoh so that his name will be declared throughout all the earth. But he's also uh, going to work through Moses, through the children of Israel, so that his name shall be declared through all the earth. So what's the nation of Israel to be? Now the nation of Israel is to be that representative of God. All men are not going to properly uh, represent God And so God chooses a nation. And that nation is going to learn the principles of God. And they're going to learn. They're going to see God. They're going to be the apple of His eye, the Bible calls them. They're going to be His people. And what they're to do, they're to be a light to the Gentiles. They're to show forth to the world. This is what God looks like. They're to be a nation... In God's likeness. A nation to represent God. As a matter of fact, Isaiah says this in Isaiah 43.10. Isaiah 43.10, he says, You are my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. So the nation of Israel is to be, are to be the witnesses of God. They are to be the representatives of God. They are to be a nation created in God's likeness. A nation that represents God. They are to be a rep, a, a God's representative to show the righteousness of God by the way they live. Remember when God tells them that you're a holy people unto me. You're a separate people unto me. You're not like all the other nations of the world. 
You're separate. I've called thee. I've made you my son. You are my people. And what that means is I'm giving you my law. I mean, it's difficult for us to comprehend this, but there's only one nation that had the word of God. That was the nation of Israel. The Canaanites didn't have the word of God. The, The nations from the east, they didn't have the word. No one knew the word of God but Israel. And they were to follow the word of God. And when they followed the word of God and God blessed them, the nation of the world were to take note that there's something different about this people. That's the people of God. And they're following their God. And when they follow their God, God blesses them. And the whole point was... For the nations of this world to see where they were failing and to desire to be like God's people. That was the purpose of the nation of Israel was to represent God. And if they would follow him, they would be ruled in righteousness and he would restore to this earth the place where God is truly represented. So Israel is looking for this king, this messianic king, the king who will represent God and rule in righteousness. And God's made this promise to David about this one who would come and sit upon his throne forever and his kingdom would be established forever. And that's the king that the nation of Israel is looking forward to. And so we understand that that the nation of Israel is, they're looking for this king who's going to rule in righteousness. The promises that God gave there in 2 Samuel 7, I will establish his kingdom forever. I will establish his throne forever. My mercy will not depart from him. Thy house and thy kingdom will be established forever. The nation of Israel is looking for this king who's going to rule and reign forever. Forever in righteousness. But what do we know? David, as we talked about last week, was a king after God's own heart. He was a king after God's choosing. And it tells us that David followed God. Now, now we know that David wasn't perfect and David sinned. But his desire was to follow God with his whole heart. And he never turned away from following God. He never turned to idolatry. That's the key point. David never turned to idolatry. But then we know that Solomon comes on the scene. And we quickly find out that Solomon is not this king that God prophesied. The seed that will be set up after David The seed whose kingdom will be established forever. That's not Solomon. You see, actually, as we study the history and we look at the life of Solomon, we recognize that by the end of Solomon's life, he resembles Pharaoh more than he resembles David. See, Solomon turned to idolatry. Solomon allowed his many wives to turn his heart 
wholeheartedly away from God to worshiping these other gods. And so we find out that Solomon was not this messianic king. One of the things we'll find out as we study this history of the nation of Israel, and, and we'll see, I mean, after Solomon's going to be Rehoboam, and I've kind of mentioned Rehoboam a few times, but the kingdom's going to be divided in the days of Rehoboam. You're going to see the kingdom of the north, ten tribes going and following Jeroboam. That's going to be the nation of Israel. And the kings of the south are going to be the nation of Judah. They're going to follow the lineage of David. There's going to be two kingdoms instead of one. And what we're going to find out is that none of those kings, there's going to be roughly 20 kings in the north and 20 kings in the south. And we're going to find out that none of them are this messianic king. There's going to be some criteria that these kings are going to be judged by as we go through and look at their history. Do they worship the God of Israel alone? Or are they turned to idolatry? Did they rid the nation of idolatry? Do they remain faithful to the covenant of David? And when those three criteria are used to evaluate the kings, here's what we find about the 20 kings of the north. Every king as they are described, they're described to be a good king or an evil king. It's an open and shut case in the north. Zero could, 20 evil. There's not one good king in all of the nation of Israel to the north. That's why they go into captivity first at the hand of the Assyrians. Of the 20-ish in the south, there's only eight. Eight good, 12 evil. And they're determined to be good by those criteria. Do they follow David? That's the criteria. And so, so we're going to see that even though some of these kings are considered to be good kings, they're not perfect kings. They're not the kings whose kingdom will be established forever. There's failures. And because of failures, and because of Manasseh, the, the next to the last king, the most wicked of them all. The kingdom of Judah is going to go into captivity, the Babylonian captivity. And so we, we look at these kings and, and we're looking for the king that is going to establish the throne of David forever. This millennial king that's going to establish a righteous rule for God forever. That will allow the nation of Israel to be a proper representative for God. They've not seen it yet. And they're still looking for it. By the way, they're still looking for that king today. And that's the king of kings and the Lord of lords that we know that is going to return. Let's understand that when Jesus Christ returns to this earth, he's going to return as the king of kings. He's going to return to the nation of Israel. And he's going to turn to 
ruled them for a thousand years and then later forever. And where's his kingdom going to be? On this earth. So we want to understand that. But that king is not yet. So, so let's take some notes from the Bible Project to help us understand the book of 1 and 2 Kings and the 1 and 2 Chronicles. Again, by the way, those, those books, when they were originally written, there was only the book of Kings and the book of Chronicles. The reason that they are 1 and 2 Kings is because, again, when the Old Testament was written, it was written on a scroll. And there's so much written that the scroll would be too large to write all of that history. So they divided the scroll in half. You have two different scrolls. That's why you have 1 Kings and 2 Kings and 1 Chronicles and 2 Chronicles. But you have this history. And this history, again, as I've already said, is to help us understand that all of these kings are not the messy the Messianic kings. And we also understand that that we study these kings to give us hope for the future. Because, again, I'm going to establish his kingdom forever. What hope do we have if there's no hope for the future? And the hope for the future is that God is going to be faithful to his word. And that God is going to establish his king. And that his king is going to come. Remember, when Jesus came the first time, he said, my kingdom is not of this world. If his kingdom was of this world, he would have fought. His kingdom in this world was not yet. But we know the king is coming. The king is coming to restore order. The king is coming to restore, restore righteousness. And it gives us hope that one day there's coming a day when all injustice is going to be absolved. There's coming a day when there's going to be righteousness. That gives us hope for the future. It gives us something to look forward to. A time when righteousness will reign. Also, these kings give us character studies. And we can look at these kings and we can see the places where they failed and the things that they allowed to infiltrate into their lives and how the things that they allowed to infiltrate into their lives caused them to deviate from the Word of God and the will of God. And we can learn from those to protect ourselves from falling to the same, to the same things they failed. And we can learn how to be faithful to God and faithful to His Word. You know, the interesting thing is that the Old Testament ends without an ending. Let's, let's look at 2 Chronicles. And I think it's chapter 36, I think. Second Chronicles 36, 22. Now, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord spoken by the mouth of Jeremiah might be accomplished... The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he made a proclamation throughout his, all his kingdom and put it also in writing, saying, Thus saith king of Persia, Cyrus, king of Persia, All the kingdoms of the earth hath the Lord of God of heaven given me, and he hath charged me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is there among you of all his people 
The Lord his God be with him and let him go up. And let him go up and what? You see, it doesn't tell us. It's just Cyrus said to build a city and that you that are the people of God, you go up and like Paul Harvey used to say, now you know the rest of the story. The rest of the story is to be written, right? We know some of the story from Ezra and Nehemiah, right? Ezra and Nehemiah, he gives us part of the story. But the end of the story is not written. We're looking forward to the end of the story. You find the end of the story in the book of Revelation. That's why you can't say the old Bible and the new Bible. It's one Bible. It's one story. Never forget that. You can't put behind the old Bible and say, Oh, I don't believe that. That's the old Bible. No. It's one Bible. It's the entire story of how God created this world. And this world was broken by sin. And he's restoring this world back to his original creation. And we get the story all through what we know as the old covenant. And then we read the new covenant. But all of it is to come brings us to the place in Revelation 21 and 22. When all of his creation is restored. And Jesus is sitting upon the throne of David. Ruling forever on this earth. Never forget that. The end of the story of the Bible is that we are dwelling on this earth. With Jesus in his kingdom living forever. The Bible doesn't end with us. Floating on the clouds with angels' wings. The Bible ends with us living on earth serving Jesus. Never forget that. So the, the, the Old Testament ends without an ending. And so we also understand when we get to Ezra and Nehemiah that Ezra and Nehemiah are not a fulfillment of God's promise to uh, David. They're still looking for that king. That's why when the children of Israel in the New Testament are looking for that king, they're still looking for that one that will set up on the throne of David. Another interesting thing that happens during this time is that the prophets arrive. The prophets, especially Elijah and Elisha in the northern kingdom, they speak on behalf of God. They're the covenant watchdogs calling out idolatry and injustice among the kings and his people. All of these things, all of these things are what we're going to see. But ultimately we're going to see that, that these kings are not the king. They're not the king of kings and lord of lords. And it points us to look forward to him. And that's who we're looking forward to. And even today, even though we know the new covenant, and even though we know how we have eternal life through the blood of Jesus Christ, we're still looking for that king. So, so what does this teach us? God is still looking for a people to be his image bearer, to represent him on the earth. And during this time, when the nation of Israel, we learn in the New Testament, they've been cut off. We as Gentiles have been grafted in during that time when Israel had been cut off and the Gentiles had been grafted in. What is to be the image bearer of Jesus Christ now? What is to be his representative on the earth? His church. 
So we know that his church is the place that is to be his representative and his image bearer today. That's why a church is made up of individuals. So as we individually are image bearers of God, then, then we collectively become an image bearer of God. And that's one of the things we ought to understand. The importance of the church is that we as a church are the image bearer of Jesus Christ. We are the light under the world. The church is the place where unto him be glory in the church. We are to be, you are his ambassadors, right? We are to be the image bearers, the church. That's why it's important that we handle our business the way that we do. That's why we stand for the truth the way that we do. It's because we are to be the place, the church is to be the place that is ruled in righteousness, that is a representative of God because the church today is the place collectively where we are the representative of God. So we think about ourselves being the image bearer of God and to be looking for the coming Messiah because one day he's coming again. So a nation supposed to be in God's likeness. We're going to see how they did not represent the likeness of God and that's going to encourage us to pay attention to how we represent the likeness of God and encourage us to represent him appropriately. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, the opportunity we have to learn from your word, and we thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.